This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. However you're doing so, be it through Audio Mac, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you're listening to the podcast. It's been a busy last seven days in the squared circle, both in North America and Japan. So let's get right to it right now and start with, you know, what happened over in Japan this past weekend, because that was probably the biggest like thing that happened over the last seven days. So let's go there. I'll spend more time diving into the big takeaway from this past weekend shows for New Japan because I haven't had the time to watch all cards in their entirety. And trust me, there's a whole story behind it. I'll bring it up. So full disclosure, I came in contact with someone who tested positive for COVID and I had to get tested on Saturday morning. So I wasn't able to watch those delayed on Saturday. Thankfully, I tested negative and I'm all fully caught up on the two matches I was looking for and also the never open weight title match, which I'll get to in a little bit later. So I was able to watch the stuff that I was looking forward to the most because I wasn't necessarily going to watch all the tag team matches because honestly, I feel like some of those kind of blend together in my opinion. But I loved what I saw from the main events of the New Japan Cup final and the main event of Dominion and also the never open weight title match. I'll get to that one in a little bit, but I want to start with Saturday, the final match between Okada and Evil. I was almost certain that the Rainmaker would win and have a rematch from Wrestle Kingdom back in January. It felt like that was going to be the setup because this is going to be one of your second show without fan, with fans and stands be third capacity. That being said, Evil took the win thanks to some dirty tactics. And to, for me, it wasn't as great as it could have been. This probably could have been one of the best matches of the week overall, but it was a little bit too overbooked for my liking. Yet Gato run in, distract the ref, and then Takahashi. Attacks Okada with red shoes, having his back turned, dealing with the entire situation with Gato. Both members of Bullet Club kind of run a little interference, but it was a solid New Japan Cup final, all things considered. It just wasn't necess- it wasn't what I expected. I felt like this was going to be a hard-hitting contest, and it'd be probably an absolute banger like we saw in those semifinal matchups last week. But this was just underwhelming for the most part. But when you watch it, it made sense, considering when you first watched it live, that Gato and Takashi came out because they've made Okada's life hell since Gato jumped over to the Bullet Club. But once Naito came out and he did the two, sw- and then yet Evil did the two sweet, and then you're like, oh, that was why they did it. It was, it was foreshadowing. It was like an onion where there's more layers as to why the Bullet Club helped member of Los Ingobernables de Japón kind of win. It was an emotional end to a solid night of wrestling, and it was just so darn good. And I'll say it, I want to just checking out highlights of some of the other matches, and honestly, not much really stood out to me, but this was a really solid card from top to bottom for the New Japan Cup final. But I think it's all about what happened at Dominion on Sunday, and I'll come right and say it, one of the best matches of the week for me was Sho versus Shingo Tagaki for the Never Openweight Championship. This was, Sho has been like quietly putting together bangers, and not necessarily like the, the best matches top to bottom, but they are really, really strong. And I had the fact show beat Shingo during the New Japan Cup. They've been putting together bangers lately. And their match at Dominion, and his match at Dominion may have been his breakout party. Because show had always been more of a tag team wrestler 
over the years. So seeing him kind of have that coming out party is so great. And he took Shingo to the absolute limit. Really made me take attention, especially after seeing a lot of the adulation the IWC gave him the aftermath. I wasn't necessarily going to watch it, but then I started seeing people more and more talk about that match. I was like, I got to see it then. I got to see what happened in this match to really say, hey, is this going to be his big moment where he can become more of a, a solo wrestler? Because he's always been more of a tag team guy with you. And I absolutely love this. And hopefully he gets to be more of a singles wrestler and puts out really solid matches consistently. Because I think that's the biggest thing for me when it comes to watching the program that New Japan puts together, because they have solid matches from top to bottom. The cards are always great. And this was another example of how a kind of, I'd say the third tier title, and that's, I'm saying that, but at the same time, a third tier is way different than, you know, what we see with the way WWE books titles where a third tier may not necessarily mean much. You're going to be largely a mid Carter, but this is going to be, this could have been like a big launching pad first show to be the never Weight champion, but I'm cool with Shingo getting the win. The way they did it was so darn good. It was no, no overbooking. It was just a straight up like hoss fight. And I loved it. And hopefully show puts out more of those down the road. Now we get to the main event between Naito dose straps, as I'm calling them and evil. And it was so damn cool to see the immediate shift from evil. It wasn't because on Saturday he comes out with the scythe and the whole gimmick. He comes out like that business as usual. Now, it's all black attire, and it looks simply beautiful. The match had a lot of issues to me with some overbooking, but it was a lot about the shock value of the finish that really made me kind of overlook some of the overbooking and some of the stuff that some of the dirty taxes, tactics that Evil was using, and kind of felt like a typical Bullet Club match. Was the fact they had Dick Togo joining Bullet Club, choking out Naito with piano wire to pretty much help Evil become the never-open-weight, excuse me, the IWGP heavyweight champion, intercontinental champion, and also, don't forget, he's the he's part of the never-open-weight six-man tag titles. And I absolutely love the fact we have Evil being a triple champion, his fiance Io Shirai, currently NXT Women's Champion. I can't wait to see what happens next with Evil as he prepares for Hiromu Takahashi. going to be a literal ticking time bomb based on how he looked as the cameras faded to black, it looked like maybe a broken Takahashi after the way things ended with Los Ingobernables de Apon on Saturday and leading bleeding into Sunday. Now we're going to see Takahashi and Evil going to be squaring off. This will be the next opponent for Evil for the IWGP titles. But there's going to be a six-man tag that's going to be coming up next Monday. And that thing is going to be explosive because you got Takahashi, Naito, and Bushi versus Evil, Togo, who's being called the Pareja, which is really cool. I like the fact they're kind of referencing a little bit LIJ with Togo and Evil's relationship. Then Taiji Ishimori, another member of Bullet Club. And they are, it's going to be fun to see how New Japan plans are going to go and see how this whole thing progresses in the weeks and months to come. Because I think we're still wanting to find out when are we going to see the G1? When are we going to see the Super Juniors? Are they going to be blended in together to become the Super G1? I don't know. There's a lot of different questions surrounding what's going to happen with the future of New Japan Pro Wrestling, but this was a huge step in the right direction to see New Japan Pro Wrestling become one of the big dogs in the sport. Looking over the WWE, the only real thing that I remembered from Monday Night Raw was the opening segment. Outside that, like really kind of 
it all blurred together for me. I guess you saw a lot of progression with the MVP, Bobby Lashley, beatdown clan type storyline, but that wasn't that wasn't what I really liked. The opening segment for Raw was absolutely perfect. The way they had Heath Slater come out, and it was a big surprise. It had a sense of realism to it. It wasn't, you know, Heath Slater being quote unquote unemployed, a free agent. This was truly him being a free agent and showing up not under contract. And he knew he was not under contract. He knew it was kayfabe. He knew it was for real. And I loved it. And the promo that Heath Slater put together was highly underrated. And hopefully we can see more of those kind of promos be used down the road. Heath looked clearly emotional, cutting a promo about Drew McIntyre not giving an opportunity. He got that opportunity, lost in short order but was also able to kind of walk out with his head held high thanks to Heath Slater and Drew McIntyre kind of getting back together on the same page and Heath and Drew McIntyre posing together as the cameras faded to black to go to commercial break. I love this, and it's probably the only thing from Monday that I genuinely remember and enjoyed. Yes, you had a lot of cool things happen with the storyline concerning MVP, Bobby Lashley, that storyline progression, everything else that was going on. It just didn't feel like there was a whole lot that really intrigued me, in a sense. Yes, you had you had a heck of a match between Bailey and Asuka, but it just did not do as much for me as say like a Raw a couple weeks ago, whenever we had the Edge promo. You had stuff that just wasn't necessarily all that great. I got to see a heck of a six man tag with Randy Orton involved and being alongside. Andrade and Angel Garza, and hopefully that can continue to be a big storyline. Maybe we see them be a new legacy. I would like to see that. But overall, Raw was not that great. Hopefully you enjoyed it, but I just did not feel like I was sold on the quality of wrestling that was going on from bell to bell involving the stars of Monday Night Raw. But the other thing that I was wondering about after the show went off the air was the I'm an eye for an eye match. What is that? Are we literally going to see a man's eye get pulled out at Extreme Rules, the horror show, this Sunday? And by the way, that's another reminder that we're going to have another episode drop this Thursday previewing both Extreme Rules and Slammiversary. Going to get a special guest to join the program then to kind of do a little deep dive into both of those cards. We'll talk about that later on in the week, but I enjoyed the fact that we got to see we to see a stipulation for this Rey Mysterio-Seth Rollins match that's going to be the big payoff and who's going to wind up coming on top and who's going to walk away with both of their eyes, quote-unquote, intact. But I'm wondering, how do you sell that in a storyline if Seth Rollins wins it? I, I, there's a lot of different questions surrounding what's going on with that title, but hopefully we get to see that match itself and then everything else. We don't know what's going to happen with the stipulation as of right now for the Dolph Ziggler-Drew McIntyre match. We'll see what happens there. But I'm still intrigued to figure out how do you do the eye for an eye match. That is probably the billion-dollar question that I have. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening to it so far. Now we're going to spend a little bit looking at NXT Great American Bash night number two. And honestly, it felt a lot like last week's show, surrounded by two really strong matches and bookended. But comparison-wise, I did not like night two as much as I did night one. I think the fact you had two really strong matches bookend a middle-of-the-road card, probably a typical NXT card. You had a really decent enhancement match. 
the Gargano Swerve Scott match on a week's notice was fun, but it wasn't necessarily as great as it could have been if you had more time to build those storylines. But again, felt a lot like last week's show. Two really strong matches, bookending it. The opener was really fun. One hell of a street fight that went out of its way to be over the top without anything zany like we've seen with some of the cinematic matches of the past few months. You had a really cool spot, Candice LeRae using the fire extinguisher. Just the opening minutes of that contest were fantastic. LeRae gets the win after a swinging neckbreaker off the top of a table into a bunch of chairs, but neither of them were really kind of much better after the match. And he had LeRae basically having to be carried to the back by Gargano during the picture-in-picture break. And Mia got up on her own not long after that, but it was just absolutely a barn burner. And I'd say probably one of the best NXT women's matches I've seen in a little bit that didn't have a whole lot of, you know, the outside interference from last week with the Kyra, with the Io Shirai, excuse me, the Io Shirai match against Sasha Banks in the NXT Women's title night one of the Great American Bash. The six-man tag was a lot of fun as well. I mentioned Gargano Swerve Scott, but that was just, it was a, it was good, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. That's just my whole opinion. And then we go over to the six-man tag with El Legado de, del Fantasma beating Drake Maverick and Brizongo, but it really kind of started to continue the story and build towards what's going to happen with Maverick and Santos Espar. Hopefully we see a rematch between those two for the Cruiserweight title down the road, and maybe just maybe Maverick finally wins the big one. I would hope that, because I think Maverick definitely deserves it, and he's shown himself to really become a whole different character, maybe what he was after the EC3 Rockstar Spud match, if you remember him back on Impact. After that, you saw him turn into a different character. This could move Spud from, you know, from, excuse me, Drake Maverick, going from comic relief a year ago to now being considered a serious contender for the NXT Cruiserweight title. But it was all about the main event for me, and I honestly loved this. And it lived up to the two weeks of hype and then some, we had a little bit more. It was basically three weeks of hype, and it worked. Cole basically had to throw the kitchen sink at Keith Lee to try and get the win and retain the title and continue his 400-plus day reign. But it wasn't enough, and Lee is now a double champion. To me, if not for show and Shingo, this would have been my match of the week because it was just so much fun to see Keith Lee continually kick out and not sell the finishes. I mean, you had the... The last shot, a couple of last shots. You had the Panama Sunrises. This should have been probably the moment Adam Cole became like the mega star and finally beating Keith Lee clean as a whistle without any outside interference. I think that was the best part of it. The fact you didn't see Undisputed Era involved in this. This was a perfect main event type thing, and I loved it. I absolutely loved what happened with NXT's like ending. The main event was absolutely perfect, uninterrupted unfiltered, well done. I, I practically wanted to give a standing ovation. The end of the match was great, but I'm interested to see what's going to happen going forward because Karrion Cross shows up as the cameras fade to black. They show him up pretty much in the rafters watching the match, watching Keith Lee win. Now we're going to see potentially Karrion Cross, Keith Lee involved in an NXT title match. I would love to see that, to see a big main event between two big hosses. So again, week one overall, for NXT Great American Batch was fantastic. Night two, underwhelming in comparison. There's a lot of stuff that's going to continue to move forward, and we're seeing things continue to be pushed forward. For instance, the whole Cameron Grimes, Damian Priest angle, what's going to happen there? 
it just felt like, you know, that they just did week two just to do night two because of the fact AEW was doing two nights of it. But hopefully we can, but I think AEW won this week simply because of the fact they had some really fun matches from top to bottom. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Let's look over at AEW Fighter Fest Week 2. And I gotta say, they had a lot of great matches from top to bottom. A lot of really fun stuff that I enjoyed. And one of the big things I enjoyed was the fact that they opened up with Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page, who just main evented the week before, had another tag team match against Private Party. And I would love to see Private Party win down the road, but they just put together absolute bangers. Again, Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page have been a great tag team champion duo together. The Ock Couple has worked really well. They're remaining on the same page. They're not trying to do like a Mega Powers Explode type angle. They are crushing it in a lot of different ways for me. And I love what I've seen with Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page. Hopefully we see Private Party win it down the road, but I'm not necessarily like that really sure it's going to happen. But the thing that I love the most about this card was the fact he had Taz bringing back the FTW title in a promo with Brian Cage. And again, the FTW title was largely used because of the fact Shane Douglas couldn't defend the title. And yet Taz declared himself the uncrowned champion with that title that wasn't officially recognized. But bringing it back for AEW was absolutely perfect. And I feel like, again, Brian Cage needed a mouthpiece. And Taz is doing a great job with that versus maybe what we saw him do with Samoa Joe back in the early back in the late 2000s with the Nation of Violence gimmick. I love this gimmick. I love this match. And hopefully we can see this continue to be a thing down the road for Brian Cage where he could be the FTW champion. And that could just be something AEW can have up their sleeve to really make you think that Brian Cage is truly a legit monster. And I think he is. I think he has every chance to be a 100% monster in the ring. And I'm looking forward to seeing the match next week at Fight for the Fallen between Brian Cage and John Moxley. And thankfully, John Moxley is 100% and ready to go for Fight for the Fallen. Both him and Renee Young tested negative for COVID-19. I believe this came out like Saturday or Sunday. So congrats to them for getting that done. In fact, Moxley tested negative three times. Three times. So, hey. You know, he's crushing it. Another thing that I enjoyed was the eight-man tag team match. FTR and the Young Bucks taking on the Lucha Bros and Butcher and the Blade. The Lucha Bros get the win. But this was a kick-ass match, a big spot fest throughout. The Canadian Destroyer to the outside was so damn cool. It was probably one of my favorite spots I've seen AEW do since the beginning of the year. Because it was just... Nuts to see and great finish. Overall, this was probably the best match between AEW and NXT. I felt like this was such a great match and the great build between those two. Hopefully, we can see FTR and the Young Bucks face off down the road. But next week, we're going to get a probably another banger between the Lucha Bros and FTR. Who FTR has kind of lost some of their luster, but they still have a chance to be absolute beasts in the ring and really get put over further down the road. That's another statement for another day. Meanwhile, another big thing that happened was Nyla Rose comes back after losing the title back at double or nothing. 
She's teasing a manager. So who is her manager going to be? I would love to see somebody like maybe Brandy Rose, Brandy Rhodes, excuse me, becomes the manager for Nyla. Or we see somebody else. I think there's a lot of different questions surrounding who is going to be the manager. Hell, it could be Britt Baker for all we know. And I love the fact they're continuing to use her in the way they are. Another match I look forward to was a six-man tag, Dark Order, and Cole Cabana taking on SCU. It was great. Cole Cabana got the win and continues the storyline with Cabana being recruited as a member of the Dark Order. Had a nasty-looking bruise all down his side, and hopefully that was more of a work than anything because that just looked concerning as all get out. Six-man tag was extremely good, and you continue to see a tease, and Cabana actually has a shirt, and it's basically, instead of Colt Cabana, it's Colt Cabana, and I love the fact they did that. But I'm looking forward to seeing how much longer they're going to tease this. Is Colt a part of the, basically, the Dark Order? And if so, is he going in there to basically work work from within to destroy it? There's a lot of different questions surrounding what's going to happen with that angle. Next, you saw the main event, and this was the thing I think we were all waiting for. Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho. And I know a lot of people, it's not necessarily their cup of tea, but let me kind of indulge upon you this. Orange Cassidy, I feel like he's proven himself he can be probably one of the best wrestlers in the business. He can be one of the best if he tries. And he tried. He tried his damnedest. He probably had one of his best matches as the Orange Cassidy gimmick. I'm talking straight up wrestling, not comedy gimmick, none of that stuff. He absolutely crushed it, knocked it out of the park, and hopefully you enjoyed it as well. It was so much fun of a main event because you genuinely felt like Chris Jericho was not going to win that match. It was going to be Orange Cassidy getting the victory, but it didn't happen. But it was so darn close. It was so darn close. You saw you know, Cassidy pull out all the moves, all of his signature spots, and people loved it. I felt like this was probably the moment where they could have pulled the trigger and have Orange Cassidy go full-blown and actually show that he can wrestle and wrestle long four matches. They didn't do that, but I love the fact that they at least teased something down the road for Orange Cassidy to do with your boy Chris Jericho. A lot of different questions surrounding what's going to happen next. With Freshly Squeezed, obviously, you'll see the best friends square off with Pride and Proud and Powerful, excuse me. And then Chris Jericho's going to be involved in that somewhere. So I think we'll see the best friends and Jericho few continue. And maybe that can kind of bleed over. We add a few more bodies in there. But honestly, Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho, it's a match you should just go out your way and rewatch and rewatch a couple more times just to fully understand the breadth of it all. And hopefully, we see. Another great kind of card next week because it looks to be stacked for Fight for the Fallen. And I have the fact it's going to be for COVID-19 relief efforts. It's to be all for charity, just like Fight for the Fallen last year was. This is such a great step in the right direction. And I'm not even bringing up the Puppy Bowl, the Puppy Battle Royale, which was so fun. It was just on YouTube, but it was way more entertaining than it had any business being. So I got to give credit to the guys at AEW for getting that done and hopefully We see more of that stuff down the road because, yes, it's great to have just straight-up wrestling and wrestlers wrestling, but at the end of the day, give me a little bit more entertainment with my show. Just my opinion. All right, wrapping up the Cajun Strong Style podcast right now, and I got to say, SmackDown was very much, you know, 
a underwhelming event, and I just did not like one part of that. And it, I think everybody will know what I'm talking about when I bring up the women's division karaoke. This was literally the worst thing they could have done. It was literally the biggest throwaway segment. There was no point of it even existing on any card anywhere. But they went ahead and did it. I don't know who approved that, who booked it, but that was a huge mistake. Why even do something like that? It was dumb. And yeah, so it's karaoke showdown, but who cares? Like it's on it's just a joke. And basically it was each contestant gets 45 seconds to sing their favorite theme song as all women. And Jay Uso basically introduced this whole thing and be the host of this. And hopefully this is just a one-off because this was probably the worst segment of the year. And it's not because of the talent, but it's just the fact that it didn't need to happen. There was no point behind it. There was no, it didn't further hardly any angles. And then they had a match after that. And I just could not get into it. It was cringeworthy and it did not get anyone over you had a two-minute match right after that that went to no contest because everybody else started to join in the fray. What was the point? What was the point behind that booking, whatever you want to call that? And underwhelming. You got to see, you know, Naomi performs American Dream, Honky Tonk Man's theme song performed by Dana Brooke. It was just so, so bad. It didn't need to be done. This was the worst segment of the year, bar none, and probably pushed women's wrestling back into WWE a good bit away. And that was just about the one thing that I remembered from like SmackDown. And SmackDown was just underwhelming. Vince McMahon, it felt like he just checked out. He just checked out on this one. He only only four matches on the card, and one of them was a really solid tag team match, Sasha Banks and Bailey. But outside of that, there was nothing much that kind of really popped. Yeah, Jeff Hardy Miz, that was okay. But I think it's more about the fact that you're going to have Jeff Hardy and Sheamus in a bar fight. What the hell is going on there? A lot of different questions, and hopefully we get more answers to it down the road as we get closer to Extreme Rules. By the way, this Thursday we'll be having special guests join the program to preview Extreme Rules, the horror show, and also get a little preview of Impact Wrestling's Slammiversary that will be coming up this Sunday only on pay-per-view. And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play Podcast. Just search 103.7 The Game. You better get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean Podcast, the Rap Game Podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to and we'll talk to you next time.